0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Precision Rifle Network podcast. This is Joel, this is episode number 5, I believe. So this is going to be an after-action report uh, for my Hunter Series slash Steel Safari preparation course that I just took out in the desert of New Mexico. The armpit, the butthole, I don't know what it was. That place was nasty. Not the range, not the range. The town surrounding... You know the place where I stayed, uh, Tucumcari, New Mexico. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that place was disgusting. I don't know how else to say it. I I wish I would have stayed at the bunkhouse on the Blue Steel Ranch. That would have been way way nicer. So I'll just launch right into this and tell you about the course uh, again: Hunter Series slash Steel Safari Preparation Course. So, if you're not familiar with the NRL Hunter matches, they are field style matches, and what a field style match means is that you have to everything is shot blind. You know, picture you're walking through, um, you know, high high mountainous terrain looking for elk on an elk hunt. And you come across a, come up over a ridge line or something and you spot an elk way out in the distance. And your job is to find that elk, range that elk, and kill that elk. Well, these matches are kind of designed like that. They're, they're designed to test those types of skill sets. Find, range, and engage no matter the distance, no matter the position, no matter the conditions can you get an impact, a first round impact. Now the Hunter series is a little bit different in that you you can miss your first shot and then you get a follow-up shot for fewer points. The competition dynamics matches, uh, the bolt gunner gets one shot. If you miss your target, you get no points. So um, on one hand, That's a little mean. Um, On the other hand, it could be realistic, right? You take a shot at an animal and you completely miss it and it spooks and run away, runs away. Well, you've lost your opportunity. So, you know, I've got no problem with that whatsoever, the the format of these types of things. But I am going to be doing some hunter matches coming up um, and I'm going to be doing the uh, Team Safari, Competition Dynamics Team Safari match in the fall. And I thought... You know what? I've been trapped in the PRS bubble for so long and what I mean by that bubble is you you get really really good at shooting in one type of an event and all of a sudden you don't really know how to shoot in other types of events. And so in an effort to just be a more well-rounded marksman, I needed to branch out a little bit, you know. I needed to branch out from where in PRS style competition you've got all these different barricades as problems and the answer to those problems is a game changer bag like it doesn't matter which barricade you go to for the most part you're going to rest your rifle on a game changer bag and get as stable as you can and try to take your shots you might be able to use a tripod for rear support but for the most part the game changer is the answer to all of the problems that you will face in a prs match yeah, obviously there's still wind and you, there's still some technical ability of getting stable and following fundamentals and all that. But given those other things being very similar, there's not a whole lot of variation. And so I realized that I didn't really know what I didn't know. Um, I've been a hunter, but I don't have a ton of experience hunting. And so enter, you know, this this prep course. So um, what this is, is uh, it's field shooting. Um it's blind stages that are four to five minutes long. Uh, find range and engage. You might have to build positions on natural terrain like rocks or trees. You're gonna have to manage your ballistics data, correct for the wind, um, you know engage all the targets uh, however they are set up. Now there are what are called one buys and two buys. There's basically six six rounds six shots no matter what. So if it's a one-by, it means you're in one position and you're going to take six shots. So there's six targets out there. If it's a two-by, it's two positions. Um, And you're going to take a shot at each of the six targets, but it's three from each position. Um, it's, It's not as easy as it sounds. You're like, five minutes, dang, like four to five minutes? I should be able to easily do that. Well, the hard part is, that for a lot of people gear management comes in. And that's that's something that I really appreciated about this class was just Brian Whalen just kind of breaking it down pretty simple for us and helping us understand what's what's a really efficient way to manage your gear on the clock to get it set up as fast as you can, like how to stage it and how to how to get it set up as fast as you can so that you can start spotting you know, trying to find your targets as quickly as possible, you know, and kind of a rough guideline we were going for was 20 to 30 seconds from the time that the stage starts to where you have to move to your position, set your gun down, set your bag down, set up your tripod and your binoculars and start spotting targets out there in the distance, uh, 20 to 30 seconds for that. And you might think that that's easy, but it actually takes a little bit of practice and so I was thankful for that, just getting run through that. You know, the very first stage that the baseline for me was a a two-by stage. And so, you know, the targets were actually right out in the middle of a of a valley. They weren't hidden. They were easy to see with the naked eye. So in that sense, it should have been fairly easy. The target sizes were generous, although, you know, you take a 2 MOA or larger target and... All of a sudden, that target is a diamond. It's actually not that big. You really have the circle that's that you could cut out in the middle of a diamond, and that's the size of your target. So, match directors be like, ah, it's a four MOA target. No, it's not. It's a lot smaller than that because then they'll put it on an angle too, and it becomes smaller. So, yeah, I don't put much. I don't put much stock in when when match direct, match directors say, oh, those targets are generous. They're two MOA or larger. Well. not if it's a diamond and placed on an angle, just saying. Uh, But anyway, I completely bombed that first stage. Um, Not only did I time out, I went over by almost a minute, um, and I did not get any of my hits due to wind, I think, mostly, because everything could be shot prone. And while I still kind of tried to fart around and build a really good prone position, um, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to, to call my wind, And um, I was seeing where I was missing and for whatever reason, my brain was just not registering and I wasn't believing the bullet and correcting to my, you know, to my point of impact. And so, you know, I started out a little bit, a little rough, but I'm glad that, you know, Brian was there to coach me through this type of, of terrain and this type of positional shooting and this type of match and gear management and time management and just all those kinds of things. Because by the end of the course, uh, I feel like I'm very prepared to go and shoot one of these matches. Not that I'll do amazing because I'm still me and I'm, you know, I fail a lot at a lot of things. And so, you know, whatever. Mental mental mistakes and win calls is probably the two biggest factors that are going to, you know, make it or break it for Joel Wise. But um, <clears throat> so basically day one of this course i'll back up and just kind of run you through this so it's an after 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 action report so in case you kind of want to know what what entail what's entailed in this type of a of a class and if you wanted to go do it um so 1095 bucks 1100 bucks and as long as it's still a thing you may ask brian before you sign up but they have a deal with the nrl um, to give $100 off for any NRL member. So if you're a member of the NRL um, in any capacity and you want to take this kind of a class, I believe there's like a $100 off deal. But don't quote me on that. You can ask Brian and see. But otherwise, it's roughly 1000 bucks, 1100 bucks for this three-day course. Um, and day one, we get there, and it, we of course, went over a safety briefing, very thorough, very detailed safety briefing, how to move with the, you know, your, your basic safety rules, like we all know, but then the safety considerations around the ranch specifically, and in a, um, a a competition setting specifically, like different types of things that you want to do with the rifle, like, Chamber flags and pointing them in the right direction when you when you stage them and and, you know, obviously not suitcase carrying and sweeping people and, you know, barrel up or barrel down and, you know, muzzle discipline was a big deal and um, just all of those kinds of safety considerations and we also did some introductions, you know, here's who I am, here's my my shooting background here's kind of the gear that I use, and here's what I want to get out of this class kind of stuff. And then after that was over, call that, you know, an hour and a half uh, to two hours to get through everybody and and all that kind of stuff with questions and whatnot. We headed out to to the square range, and I believe at the ranch it went out to about 300 yards. We just set up targets at 100 yards roughly. I believe it was actually 113 yards. But we set up just paper targets and set out to just make sure everybody's rifles was zeroed uh, properly. So Brian would give some tips and corrections and, you know, he'd be on glass and calling us in saying, hey, yeah, give me two clicks to the left or one click down or whatever it is. And just, uh, you know, fine tune before before we headed out anywhere else. So did that. Um, made sure everybody's gear was working correctly, functioning properly, scopes mounted well, leveled, all those kinds of things. And then we went over to the, uh, to the known distance range, which, um, you know, nice covered shooting location with benches and cement pads and, and all that very, very nice, you know, comfortable and clean ish, you know, um, I say that just because dust of blowing and things, not that there's anything wrong with the with the the shooting area at the ranch. There's not. It's a very nice facility. I just mean, you know, there's still – you're in the elements, I guess is what I mean by clean-ish. Um, and so we started at something like 300 yards, I think, or 400 yards, just making sure that people could, could hit a pretty good-sized steel plate at that distance. And then we went straight out to a thousand yards, uh, on a truing bar. And this was super helpful for me guys. Um, typically when I true up my drop data on a rifle, I will start at a hundred yards and I'll get my zero and then I'll walk it out. And usually I start at 300, I'll go 300, 400, 500, et cetera, et cetera, all out, all the way out to a thousand and just make sure that my, my data lines up. I'll chronograph and get my speed typically, um, sometimes i won't sometimes i will i will just base everything off of where i'm seeing it land on the steel and then i'll adjust uh velocity and or bc depending on the distance past 600 yards usually i adjust bc only inside of 600 yards I typically adjust muzzle velocity but if you're going to use a chronograph these these modern chronographs are so accurate you know to within just a couple of feet per second one or two feet per second if that's what it says your bullet's going that's probably what your bullet's doing and so we should trust that I believe we should trust that and even more so now that I that we did this at the ranch Brian had us truing at a thousand yards so Right after those 400-yard targets, we went straight to 1,000, and they have this huge dirt berm with, like, this old big steel truck bumper laid across the middle of it. So now you can picture, you know, you dial in your 1,000-yard dope and you send rounds down there. You can easily see your impacts in the dirt all around that truck bumper, and you can adjust your BC until – and, you know, your drop data and your BC until – you're lining up perfectly at a 1,000 yards. And now that that BC should be very accurate for the round that you're shooting. And you've got your velocity out of the chronograph. So now your BC is perfect and your velocity is perfect. And I'll tell you guys, it was really fast. Probably five shots at a 1,000 yards, and I had everything trued up and dialed in, and I came back into like a a small um, uh, know-your-limits-or-test-your-limits-KYL kind of plate rack at 500 yards and just cleaned it right away like it was no trouble so uh it works and I like that and I'm gonna I think I'm gonna see if I can't find a cheap big steel bumper like that and ask our local range owner if I can put it out at a thousand yards on the on the dirt berm because man that was really helpful really fast saved ammo and was very accurate so that was one thing I really liked. Um, we spent a good deal of time. We broke for lunch somewhere in there, and then we came back to the known distance range, and we spent basically the rest of the day at the known distance range just testing our data on all these different types of targets and these different wind conditions. We, um, we got a little bit of a wind lesson uh, from Brian, and he uses – I'm used to using uh, gun number and weaponized math from from Frank Galley, uh, Sniper's Hybe. Uh, Ted Hoger. And um, I'm used to using that. And I don't know that I'll switch off of that, to be honest, but Brian's method works as well. He just, um, he uses like a a wind bracketing method. And I, I bracket the wind too, but he does it specifically in four mile per hour increments. And so then he just knows, he just knows what his, uh, you know, what his data is going to be for a 4, 8, 12, 16, 20, whatever, mile-per-hour wind, and then, you know, based on wind angle, he'll take a percentage of that, and that's his that's his tri-dope for his wind. And that works pretty well, too, and it scales easily. The math is simple and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I like the wind number of my gun, so if, you know, if I'm running a a 6 Creedmoor and my, my uh, G1 BC is 0.6, blah, 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 well then, um, my my gun number is is a six. It's six mile per hour gun. So basically, at six hundred yards, in you know, a six mile per hour full value wind, it will push my bullet six tenths. And it's scalable, really scalable. And then obviously you can take a percentage of the wind based on angle as well. And that works pretty well. Um, so so Brian taught his method. Um, I tried it. I, I think I'll stick with the one that I know better and just have learned better. Not that it is a better way or a method or whatever or faster or more efficient or anything. It's just that's what I've learned and I don't see any reason to switch. So, um, <clears throat> so there was that. Uh, we also practiced how to shoot off of tripods. And this was very, very helpful for me. Um, I was kind of stuck in a very uh, outdated method of shooting off of tripods. Not that not that it doesn't work, just that um, you know, with technology improvements of tripods and ball heads and various things, um, the old ways that I was doing it were not necessarily the best ways anymore. And so Brian taught how to um, you know just fundamentals of or how to keep your fundamentals sound while utilizing a tripod, how to set up a tripod and your rifle on the tripod in order to to maintain proper fundamentals all the way through the shot process and, um, you know, build and break those types of positions. And, um, yeah, just it was really – it was a really good kind of eye-opening thing. And at the end of the – you know, honestly, I'm coming away from that class fully understanding that I could – compete in one of these types of matches and only shoot off of a tripod and probably do pretty well. Um, You know, just for a speed and efficiency and the ability to make solid impacts on two MOA size targets all the way out to a thousand yards, um, you learn how to do it a certain way and it's really not all that difficult. So we learned that. That was day one. Um, Day two and three, so Saturday and Sunday, was spent entirely out on the rim. Uh, and the rim is the rim of a canyon, and the canyon runs all through the Blue Steel Ranch property. Now, we never shot past 600 yards out on the rim. Everything was roughly 600 or less. Anywhere from, say, 300 to 600 yards was the vast majority of the targets. And, um, we just spent the time running through mock stages, you know, Hey, you're, you're wanting to do an NRA, you want to do an NRL Hunter style. Okay. You have four minutes, it's blind stages, but if you miss your first shot, you can take a follow-up shot for less points and we'd run it like that. Or, oh, you're going to do a competition dynamic style. Okay. Well, you get five minutes or six minutes and you get one shot only per target. All the stages were blind, we were on the clock, and we'd run through it, doing our best to, you know, build and break positions on natural terrain like rocks and tree stumps and you name it. And, um, you know, finding the targets, ranging the targets, drawing out a plan, um, adjusting for do- dope and drop data, you know, sending rounds, recovering, doing it all over again. And staying within the time limit and getting impacts all while trying to read wind and different angles that you have to move and everything, it's its just not as easy as it may seem. You know, the fact that these targets are anywhere from three to less than six, and they're all, you know, quote unquote generous targets of two minutes or more there are some that are smaller and don't let it fool you. Like all that stuff that you have to do, but you know, building and breaking positions and remembering wind angles as they flow down through a Canyon. And you're now you're shooting uphill or downhill. Like all that stuff is working (laughs) against you. It's, It's just working. You're working against yourself unless you can, you know, account for those kinds of things. But that was, what was great about Brian being there because he would, coach through it at first until you start getting the hang of it. And then we would just debrief after the stage was over. And he's like, here's what I think you did well. And here's what I think you could try to do a little bit better for the next time, you know, and he would just help, um, in all those things, you know, target detection and trying to just mentally map out where those targets are sitting and how best, like what's the most efficient way to, to engage those targets for, you know, to, so you maximize your efficiency of movement and time and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> you know, just all the different types of advanced positions. It, shooting out in the natural terrain is completely different than the contrived barricades that we build in PRS-type matches. You know, everything is, for the most part, right angles and man-made objects that have very consistent shapes in PRS. And out in the natural world, nothing is consistent and straight lines and shaped a certain way that's easy to figure out. You know, one rock over here to your left that you have to shoot off is gonna be a completely different type of position than this rock you have to shoot off over here to the right. And you might be laying downhill and now all of a sudden you gotta you gotta adjust your bipods different or Um, you're going to be shooting uphill and this particular spot where you have to shoot off the rock is, it's very uneven, um, you know, dips and ridges and whatnot. And you can't just simply lay your barricade bag down on top of that because, because of the angle you're shooting at now, your, your magazine hits the rock and that's not right. And, you know, it's just, there are so many different things uh, that you have to consider shooting in natural terrain. Um, it's just not the same. So, It was a very real realization, thankfully, um, realization that I'm not as good a shooter as I thought I was. That's a very good realization to come to at some point because it doesn't transfer. PRS skills don't transfer to real-world hunting scenario skills. Some of them do, like fundamentals of marksmanship, of course, transfers over, like your trigger press, your breathing, your follow through all those kinds of things can transfer over. But understanding how to get stable off of rocks, trees, you know, branches, considering shooting through different types of shrubbery and reading the wind as it moves through a canyon versus on a on a flat square range in Iowa, it's just different. And I'm very thankful that I, I went and um spent time at this class trying to learn that kind of stuff. Um you know, a few things gear-wise, I guess, that I would. So let me finish out my after action, I guess, and just say time well spent. I thought this class was excellent. Uh, Brian Whalen is an extremely experienced field-style competition shooter. He's also got PRS, um, you know, an NRL-type match experience from back in the day. And so the guy's been there, done that, and won that. And, um, he knows what he's talking about and he's, his personality is, is excellent. Like, uh, calm and he's not gonna, he's not gonna yell at you and bark at you and tell you you're an idiot unless you deserve it. Um, he's not afraid to say what he, what he needs to say, but he's just a nice guy. You know, he's very easy to learn from. And I didn't feel like stressed or, or pressured or threatened, um, by him in any way. And so that was good. Uh, he, he's a good coach. And I really, I needed that. And I, I really like the coaching that I received from him. So well worth the money and time spent. So that's the class. Gear things that I learned. Number one, I think I already said it, but I could shoot these entire matches off of a tripod. And understanding that now really starts lending itself to thinking through the types of gear that you carry in those types of, of situations. Like, for example, I went to this class with the Schmidium Game Changer in the heavy fill. Like, that's an eight to nine pound bag, you know, and the entire weekend, I only used it on one, on one stage. And now, so, what that said to me was, I probably could have got away with a pint size game changer in the Get Light Fill and been much carrying much less weight and been happier about that. Obviously, the Schmedium the Heavy game changer is excellent and creates a very stable shooting position. Both the distances and sizes of targets we're dealing with in these types of matches, I definitely can switch from a heavy game changer bag like that to a pint size, get light fill, and be able to do just about exactly the same. So that was one gear gear thing that's for sure getting changed so that I can cut weight out of my pack. Um, <clears throat> another thing, like I said, is the tripod. Um, there were – every student in the class had a tripod and a ball head type of combination. And there is simply – it just it just kind of – concreted in my mind, cemented in my mind, there is no comparison to a full Really Right Stuff setup. There's no comparison. A full setup from Really Right Stuff with the Anvil 30 ball head is, I I don't know, it's head and shoulders. Like people balk at the price, but to me it's head and shoulders above the rest in efficiency, ease of use, and stability. There's just less vibration and movement in that tripod setup than there is in any other type of tripod and ball head setup. And I've used a lot of them. Uh, caveat, I have never shot off of a two vets tripod setup, so I'm not sure on that one. I will leave them out of the mix for now, but you know, you name it. Um, otherwise I've tried it all different types of photography ones and, um, you know, "quote unquote" military brands, and you name it. I've I've tried it, and the really right stuff is the way to go. There were people in the class with lighter weight um, tripods that are more akin to to photography, and they just swapped out the Anvil Thirty ball head. That increases the usability of a of a tripod quite a bit. But what they learned very quickly was, yeah, the ball head's awesome, but your tripod is the limitation. There's so much flex, there's so much vibration that you still aren't that much better off than, than what you had in the first place. So yeah, there's that. Um, another gear realization was, you know, an arm board where you've got all of your hard data written out for the location where you're going to be and density altitude that you're going to be at. having that all trued up with your rifle ahead of time and having an having it on an arm board where it's got like a plastic window kind of thing over the top and you can use like a wet erase or a a dry erase marker to just quickly you know take a range with your range finder and just put a mark next to you know the distance that you need on your arm board um, or write a one, a two, a three, et cetera, for the, you know, the, um, the way that you're going to, the order that you're going to shoot those targets in. Um, that was super helpful. The thing that I'm going to modify is my data board, you know, I went, I had it going from like two, no, I had it going from 150 yards with drop data is every 25 yards all the way out to a thousand and that's just not necessary. Um, I think that I could easily um, start at something like 200 yards. Because it's only a couple of tenths between 100 yards and 200 yards for drop data. So I could save space by starting at, let's say, 200 yards and going you know, to 250 and then 300. And then at 300, I'd start going by the 25s, 25, 50, 75, etc. And I would go out to, let's say eight hundred and fifty yards or so um, and I would and I would stop there and then I would just go like every 50 yards to a thousand I could save myself some space and then also I would move all of those columns left a little bit um, and I would leave myself a blank open space on say the right side of my plastic uh, arm board thing so that i could actually map out and draw out target locations on a stage because there's there's often a pattern to the way that they're placed out in the field and it would be good i found to be able to just draw out like there was a there was some there were six targets in this one stage that were kind of circular you'd start on your leftmost limit in close and then you'd go out and then you'd go out further but slightly right and then you'd come straight across the top for a few targets and then you go back down the right limit closer so it made like this half moon or this half circle shape and you either have to remember all that on the clock or you can draw it out a little bit on your arm board and put numbers by it for how you're gonna how you're gonna you know shoot that so that was a couple of things that i that i thought were really helpful another thing was i've been using uh, for years now, for spotting and for for range finding. Um, I've been using the the Swarovski SLC uh, 15 x binoculars for spotting for a long time and that, there's there's no comparison. The glass is amazing. Those, those binoculars are amazing, but the 15 times power is actually too much for this type of competition. Um, and I've been using the Terrapin X for my range finder and bluetoothing that with my Garmin watch. For drop data and, and things of that nature, um, and I recently switched to the Sig Kilo Ten K, and these are ten times binoculars that have uh, applied ballistics range finder built right in, drop data, and everything. It's got the AB solver uh, built right in, so you can you can line up all of your data right into the range finder, and you can simply have one set of binoculars that does both. You know, binos and rangefinder, so I can eliminate some pieces of gear, the heavier, larger pieces of gear out of my pack. I can cut weight, and I've got a very capable setup in that. And so, uh, and those were great, by the way. Uh, I know I did a I did a podcast briefly on those, as without having gone to New Mexico and used them. Now here, after the fact, I can say without a doubt, I'm super happy that I bought those those Sig Kilo 10ks. Yes, they definitely have a blue tint. Uh, it is not bad to be honest. And so I'll just throw that out there. Um, as far as I, I'm just going to hang here for just a minute because there's some stuff I, I learned while I was there about those that I just want to follow up on. Um, <clears throat> so, so there was a huge metal sided barn way out across the distance. Now, one of these barns was at, I was I was able to get a range back on, it was like 3,700 yards on a big reflective barn. Now we had really heavy Mirage, and I'm not sure if that affects it or, or not that much, but these things are supposed to be able to pick up at like 10k, right? 10,000 yards. Um, I was never able to range anything past that like 37 or 3,800 yard barn. I was able to range a cow at like 2,500 and something and the reticle of the rangefinder was dead nuts on. I put it directly in the middle of that cow and hit the button and it returned that range instantly and the crosshairs were right on. Like A lot of times there's a, like a, a beam divergence on, on rangefinder binoculars and you have to figure out where your rangefinder is actually aiming. Mine was on that cow and returned that data instantly at 2,500 and something yards. So I was really impressed at that, because I'm never going to take a shot on an animal at that distance, and I'm not into ELR, so these things are going to be more than what I need. So I was, I was very impressed with that. Uh, there was one little hiccup in the middle of the day on Saturday with these, and I hadn't done anything other than you know, just let them time out and shut off. Put them in my bag. Move to a new stage. And then when I was ranging, all of a sudden, I realized that the drop data on the rangefinder binoculars had increased like four or five tenths for all the different distances. And I was like, "What the heck's going on?" And what I what I finally figured out was that the the ring the SIGs had defaulted back to the default um what do you, what do you want to call it just the the default uh profile ballistic profile which is a 308 175 grain well the thing is is that my bluetooth was turned off on my phone i did not have the app open so there's no way that it kind of like connected with my phone and resynced and like redid all that and I had gone into the rangefinder and deleted that profile completely. The only profile I had on the rangefinder at the time was for the gun that I was using, so for it to default back to that on its own just randomly, and then I had to like go back in and and reselect my six millimeter profile. Um, that was a hiccup that I I obviously it still ranged correctly, but the drop data was off. And thankfully I just realized that it was off. I thought my DA changed all of a sudden. I was like, okay, what's going on here? Like, there's no way it changed that much in the last half hour to an hour. Like it the sun did come out and it did get hotter. And so at first I was like, Oh man, that was like a serious DA change, but not that wasn't it. So it ended up just kind of hiccuping and 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 um, you know, putting that that original default profile back in into the window, which was strange. So I'm not sure if that's just going to be an update or if that's going on with other people, but that was my experience. But other than that, by and large, you know, for for rangefinder binos that you can get uh, anywhere from seventeen hundred to say twenty two or twenty three hundred dollars, uh, they're really good, you guys. Uh, the glass is great, no distortion. If you can deal with the slight blue tint, uh, I think they're I think they're a really good answer to to these kinds of matches and this kind of problem. So so there's that. Uh, any other gear issues? Um, a chest pack I've been running. I, uh, I've been running a, not, don't think, um, don't think body armor as far as like a, a chest rig. It's just a pouch uh, that I can wear on my chest. Um, it's from hill people gear. And in there I put my markers and I put my Kestrel and I, and I put, um, just other little like small thing. I put my magazine in there to keep that nice and clean. Uh, it doesn't get in the way uh, when I was laying prone or on any kind of positionals type stuff. And it kept those small items that you need to get to first and quickly right there in the front of me on my chest. That was, that was a win. I'm glad I did that. And that also had a water bladder on the backside. So I had, you know, plenty of water, for being out on the range at the same time. And that didn't even get in the way. The water bladder in the back did not get in the way too bad of my uh, of my big pack. You know, if I had to walk miles and miles and miles, it probably would have got uncomfortable. But it really wasn't bad. So those types of gear things, uh, that was a win. And realizing that I could shoot an entire one of these matches pretty well off of only a tripod. And just say screw it to building all the weird positions. Yeah, that was that was kind of a big, that was a big win. Um, realizing that the wind is completely different wherever you go, you know, um, you want to be a really well, well well-rounded marksman. Well, I guess you're going to have to put in the time and money to travel all around to Colorado and New Mexico and, you know, the Northwest and down to California and out to New York and wherever you're going to shoot down to Georgia. And you're going to have to learn how to read wind and all the different types of vegetation in all those different types of places. If that's the definition of a really good marksman. Well, I'm not sure that I'll ever get there just because of time and money, (laughs) but, um, it, it, there is something to it, to being able to, to, you know, get plopped down, um, for a hunt in, in any location, anywhere and being able to perform. Uh, there's definitely something to learning how to do that because the wind was completely different, uh, in New Mexico than it was here in Missouri, which is what I'm used to doing. So anyway, really good class highly recommend yeah that's pretty much it um, if you guys have not done so already please consider checking out patreon could really use your support over there precision rifle networks a business just like anything else there's some there's some definite benefits to you for being a member of the patreon group you get all the videos first you get extra videos um, you get direct access to me through uh, through an through a signal chat app. Um, you get giveaways. There's a bunch of stuff happening on Patreon. So consider that. Go to patreon.com slash PRN or just search on Patreon for Precision Rifle Network. You'll find it. Consider getting signed up for that. Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, I know I can be a little monotone and ramble, so I definitely appreciate your time. Um, hit that follow button if you haven't already. Tell some folks about it. Really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again soon in another episode.